I'm still thoroughly baffled by the lack of recognition and respect community professionals get. Right now, things are changing in COVID where everyone's hopping onto community and seeing it as a value. But even in that, you'll see companies rush out to hire someone in community and they don't even fully understand what community can do for their business. They just think they need it. You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Angelica Coleman. Angie is currently the Senior Community Manager at Snowflake, which is a cloud platform that helps companies mobilize their data. There, she's leading the technical community and creating a community engagement program filled with organic brand ambassadors. Previously, Angie was the Director of Community at Lesbians Who Tech. Along her career journey, she has also worked at Dropbox, where she created and led the Black Dropboxers Employee Resource Group. Angie and I chat about how to scale community programs, improve user retention, and delight customers. She also shares her honest advice for new community professionals who are looking to grow within the industry and for companies that previously slept on community and are just getting started. So let's jump right into it. Angie, welcome to Create Community. Super excited to chat with you today. Thanks for having me here, Marsha. Super excited to be here. Awesome. So to jump into it, I love to get an understanding of how my guests actually became community builders in the first place. I think it's so fascinating how we all kind of find our way into the industry. Very few people seem to set out to become a community builder. We've all had a very unique path to it. So I'd love to learn a little bit about your early journey. And why don't we start with your high school days? Um, What were you like in high school? And how did you find belonging while you were in high school? And did you ever feel like maybe you didn't belong? Who didn't feel like they didn't belong in high school? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So definitely was able. I know high school was a tough time. I grew up in, you know, the suburbs of Boston and an interracial family in the 90s. And, you know, by the time I got to high school, still wasn't that diverse. And so it's tough from that aspect alone. I'm just finding my people, finding my own self-acceptance and then acceptance with others. Like, you know, high school's traumatizing. (laughs) So it was tough, but I was able to find my community by just trying different things. I'm a big fan of trying and playing with everything. And so I played a ton of different sports, which helped me out through the ages and just kind of figure out which ones I liked and which groups of people I liked in those sports. Um, In high school, I was on the swim team and I was also on the bowling team, <laughs> a little nerdy. I also did stage crew and I, I found stage crew my freshman year in high school and just did it every season. So, you know, I think I did seven total. Um, I missed my first semester, but I did seven plays total. And so just working on the set and building out that. And I ended up meeting a lot of really great people in theater. And I think that's really where I started seeing that creation of community and like these hubs and realizing that, you know, I can find my people through different activities. Absolutely. I can totally relate to that. I think for me also where I found belonging in high school was through the extracurriculars that I was part of and that really helped me in the classroom and really to feel like I belonged and found my place. So out of high school, what did you end up studying in post-secondary? 
I studied history in college, history and anthropology. So definitely fed into my community building, um, for sure. I always had a fascination with people. And actually, when I was studying history, the biggest thing that I always used to say when people would ask me, what's my favorite time in history? Or, you know, what's my favorite thing to study? And I'd be like, it's actually, I, I don't have a favorite time in history. I'm always impressed and interested in learning more about the people and how their lives were and how their lives changed over the times. And I definitely, you know, have periods in history where I'm excited to learn more about those changes, but I always was focusing on the people and how the times affected the way people were. That's really fascinating. And how did you end up starting your career out of that? Did you do something that was related to your studies or or yeah, what was the, what was your first role out of that? My first job out of school was uh, working in sales at a uh, town sports international. They run a, uh, you know, Boston sports clubs, New York sports clubs, all those. Um, and I was doing, I was doing gym sales there. And I mean, I guess in some ways you could say history, definitely history and anthropology and, and studying humans can support my sales career of sort, but nothing related to it in the, in the industry. I just kind of started working in sales and, I I naturally gravitated that way with people and communications and um, it kind of snowballed from there and, and helped me get my footing into the door of community. So how did you get into community out of that role? So from sales, I had honed in that I really liked working with people. And so I kind of made a couple leaps. I went from sales to then recruiting for tech companies. In that recruiting for tech companies, again, I'm working primarily with people. And that's what that's what drove me to take that career change. I realized that, you know, again, I, I like the individual people. It was like, it took me probably five changes before I realized I liked community. So I went from sales, then I went to recruiting like, you know, four people. Then I started working in a tech company and I was an administrative assistant at Dropbox. It was my my first job once I moved out to California. And I was an administrative assistant at Dropbox supporting five or six different engineering leads. And it gave me this really cool opportunity to find ways to build like community building activities. And then from there, I had been learning how to code while I was at Dropbox. And so I, I thought, you know, as I'm learning and new in the tech industry, this is 2013, I thought my next move was going to go be a developer. Like I was going to be a real hard code, like coder, you know, like, and I went to Zendesk and I took a job as their developer relations manager, you know, building demo apps and showcasing the API and, and evangelizing the, the product. What I learned there <laughs> was that I actually hated the technology side. You know, I hated the coding, the nitty gritty, the fixes, the requests, the pushes, like I was so done with it. What I loved about it, though, was meeting with people, hearing about what they were building, showcasing their programs, um, connecting them with other people who are building similar things, you know, and filling those gaps. And so that was really that was 2015. And that really opened my eyes to like, you know, working in this community uh, advocacy evangelism type space and giving myself that joy of working with folks, but still in the technology industry. That's really amazing. And I think something really cool that was part of your role at Dropbox is that you were able to build community internally as well with creating and leading the Black Dropboxers Employee Resource Group. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and what are you most proud of in accomplishing there? Oh, I loved building that group out. It was so fun and <laughs> maybe cost me my job at the company, but 
it was a lot of fun. Um, now it's very highly regarded and everyone loves sharing about it. But I do remember those early days were tough. You know, it kind of came about there was just a need. There was a need inside the company for Black employees to feel seen, heard and included. You know, I'm naturally a very people oriented person. And so I'm talking with everyone. Uh, before building out the group, I actually had done this other project at Dropbox where I was studying, and this was not part of my role, but it was like an after work program, I call it. I was working with the head of design at the time. And he had this project where he wanted to do 12 weeks of like research in the company to kind of figure out how people are interacting with each other as we were in that rapid growth stage. It was pre-IPO. And so, you know, hiring 200 people like every month or something. So how are we staying connected and how are we engaging? And that was a really exciting time because I joined that project and learned so much about what it was that people needed at the company. What came out of that project on my side was like I was focusing highly on engagement and was hearing pretty consistently across the board that people didn't know anyone anymore. People stopped getting to know people. People were being with the same five people every day because it was just growing so fast and they didn't know how to meet other people. And so what I did was I assembled a small team and I built this product called Lunchbox, which was like an automated, you sign up for it. And every Friday at noon or like 11 o'clock, it would send an email, a calendar invite with five other people you were randomly having lunch with. Um, and so you just signed up for it once and it would track like who you've already eaten with, who you haven't. And it was a way to get to know people in the company. And that took off like wildfire. People were obsessed with Lunchbox. Um, it was so much fun. And that opened up so many other things because that once we started getting people together and talking and meeting each other, then you start hearing, well, what are people really need? Like, what else do they need? And so in meeting tons of other folks, I started meeting other Black employees that worked at Dropbox. And as we were talking, you know, we were, we were always joking about how there are just different things that would support us at the company. We want to get involved with things with like recruiting and referrals and have some sort of say in that. And we wanted to change where we were recruiting. Um, you know, we had a, a very big focus at Dropbox at the time of only recruiting from the top 10 schools or, or you know, similar. And uh, we were like, we need to change that because we're, we're missing out 95%, you know, of, of who's out there in the world. And so just kind of, I pulled together a lot of the skills I had from, from other projects and other roles, just kind of put them all in on this. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of with the Black Dropboxer group was really being able to change those recruiting standards. And so we actually piloted recruiting at HBCUs for the first year, I believe it was in 2014, um, at Dropbox. And ever since then, they've recruited at those those schools, those HBCUs every single year since for fall and, and summer. And so um, it's pretty exciting to see like, you know, that that one off thing become a lasting program at the company. That's so rewarding and so amazing to see that, yeah, just something that you had an idea for grew into something that's so big and helping so many people <laughs> within the company and I'm sure have, has inspired other companies to do similar things as well. So congratulations on creating that and really making such a huge difference uh, for these employees and, you know, really helping them excel in their careers. That's huge. So 
So I want to jump into your next move, which was Lesbians Who Tech. Really exciting community. Can you tell me a little bit about how you ended up pivoting to that role? And what exactly is this community for anybody who's maybe not familiar with it? Yeah, so uh, the Lesbians Who Tech community is a global community of over 50,000 technologists who are already in the industry and some of them are looking to get into the industry or, or switch careers in the industry. Um, the community is focused primarily on like, you know, elevating people's careers and connecting them with with those who can who can support. And so it's a really fun, exciting community. You know, we do things like global events, global summits, uh, retreats, things like that. Anything to really just educate, bring in awareness and and connect folks. It's really fun. You know, it's kind of funny. So I went to my first event for Lesbian 2 Tech, I think in 2015. You know, I think it was end of the year when I left left Dropbox um, that year. And I fell in love with the community when I was there. It was just such an incredible energy that you can't, I can't even describe it. It was just such an incredible inviting, welcoming energy that left me with so many ideas and feelings of connectedness. And obviously that's like what everyone strives for in community, but so few people hit it. Those summits are incredible. They they really can change your life. And I remember being just so blown away from it thinking, wow, if I could work at a place like this, that would probably be my dream. Now that was probably like 2015. Then roll comes, let's see, 20. 2017 rolled around, maybe end of 2016. It's fuzzy, but Leanne, founder, reached out to me. And I didn't even know Leanne knew who I was and was like, hey, are you by any chance looking for a job? <laughs> That's it. I love it. <laughs> I thought, I was like, she must have the wrong person. Does she know who I am? Why am I getting this email? And I guess somebody internally had, had dropped my name. And, and so I ended up just chatting with her. By the end of the week, I was like onboarded. Um, it was pretty wild. <laughs> I love that. And I actually got my start working on a second project of her. She had just launched, uh, Leanne's like a serial entrepreneur and had just launched an organization called the Tech Jobs Tour, which was a 50 city workforce development tour, getting non-traditional talent into the tech industry. And so she hired me to basically, you know, support that entire tour. There was one other person overseeing it all and doing the sponsorships. And I was responsible for on the ground events and building up that community. And then after the work I had done on Tech Jobs Tour, after about seven or eight months or so, she moved me over to the Lesbians Who Tech side to kind of run community there. And so I kind of put in all the work, built a community from scratch. And I was like, okay, great, come LWB and do that on a bigger scale now. That's amazing. What sort of initiatives did you work on within this role? Like, what did your day to day look like? What were some of the formats that you were running? I was overseeing a lot of events. I'd say events were my biggest one. And this was back in the in person days. And we were doing, um, you know, with the tour, it was 50 events in in 50 cities in one year, which was a lot. With the LWT side, it was closer about 300 events a year if you counted the chapter leads as well. And so overseeing chapter events, approving those, creating structures for chapter leaders, um, hosting two U.S. summits every year. Those were the big ones. And those had anywhere from like you know, 2,000 to 5,000 attendees, um, plus like hundreds of sponsors. And then we had global summits as well. And the responsibility on the global summit side was a little smaller as we had global leads who had run them, but it was still a pretty heavy lift in terms of, you know, creating content, overseeing that, ensuring sponsorships were secured and making sure we have the right talks happening. 
That sounds so exciting. And that sounds like you were doing a lot of travel and a lot of moving around with that. <laughs> That's a lot of events. I can't even imagine. A lot. Yeah. It was, it, I actually had to take an event break after. I am, um, you know, when I left LWT and went to Snowflake, one of the things I specifically asked, I was like, is there any events involved in them? Is there travel? Because I'm pretty burnt out from, you know, I would do like 36 hour stays in cities, get on the ground post up the event, host it, get on the plane and leave. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I feel like on the outside, that looks so glamorous. Like, I'm sure your your Instagram and your social media looked so exciting. And people are really, you know, looking at that thinking, wow, how amazing. But when you're actually living it, it's, you know, it's exciting at the beginning, but then you, you do tend to get burnt out. I've done some business travel as well. And it's like, yeah, it always looks more glamorous than it is. Something that I think is really interesting about your time within that role is that you established the organization best practices around marketing, data collection, and analysis. I think a lot of people in the community profession or, you know, indie community builders, they tend to struggle with that. Can you share a little bit about some of your learnings there? And, you know, what did some of those initiatives look like? Like, how were you collecting that data? And, you know, what are just some things that you learned within that? When it came to collecting the data, oh my gosh, and I'm sure so many people can relate to this, I had very little resources. So I had, you know, I didn't have really great data tools. We used one service, Nimble, for our CRM. And it was so dirty from duplicated data because there had been so many people before who created all these different systems and nothing was streamlined. Some people were using spreadsheets. Some people were using event Right. Some people were using Splash that. Some people were using email. And so all of that was ported into the, the CRM. And we had tons and tons of duplicates. I mean, talking people with seven emails from all the companies they've worked at over the five plus years of, of LWT's existence. And so I had my work cut out for me. I took it upon myself to do a big data cleanup and I hired some contractors to help. And it literally was like, you know, you could do some of the, the automated dedupes, but I had a lot of annual line by line and like really merge contacts who we knew still were here, but this, their, their info was so outdated. And so one was like data cleanup and getting that done. Two was really establishing those best practices. And so in the mess is where I found most of my lessons. So really seeing in the mess what all the duplicates were and how we could streamline that and what it was it that we actually needed. And then from there, same thing with like the events best practices and the engagement best practices. It was really looking at like in those times that became so incredibly stressful for me because I'm on the road and I'm traveling and I'm working with 12 different leads who are hosting events in their local areas. And it was like all the frustration points became lessons of, okay, what does this person need? So I'm not scrambling now to get it to them. Oh, they probably, what I should have given them before was like, you know, access to get this food. So they're not calling me day of and saying, hey, they need to place an order for pizza or something like that. And so, you know, it was just like, and again, I'm walking into an industry and an organization that had already been built before me. And so a lot of mine was like cleaning up those pieces of people had been moving really fast and not taking the time to track and make sure our tracking was clean and just me going through and finding all those pain points and making sure we don't ever hit that pain point again. I love what you said about, you know, finding your answers within the mess. It's I can't relate to that more. I know that I've definitely fucked up ironically with, you know, building 
during fuck up nights, uh, fuck up nights, Toronto, I know that my data collection was a mess from the beginning. Um, And I think it's exactly what you said, like you're moving so fast, especially if you're kind of doing it on your own, your focus is just, you know, getting the event out there, focusing on the community experience, all of that. And a lot of the time that data collection can kind of, you know, fall to the wayside. So I know at the beginning, I, I wasn't really even collecting anything. I was just like, you know, let's make it as easy as possible for people to sign up for this event. So it was literally just like their their name and email. And then I started collecting some, but it wasn't standardized and like just everything you said was like, ouch. But it was the same thing when I made my first hire. Uh, we were really able to sit down and to go through it and to find ways to standardize it and to go through any uh, repeats and clean it up. But oh my God, I can't recommend enough, like just making that Um, a priority from the beginning, just spending the time that it deserves to really just create a process that's already streamlined, it's going to save you so much time down the line. So if you're listening, and you're just starting a community, definitely don't ignore that. It's going to help you a lot down the line. Absolutely. And it's it's so important too. not even just like the logistics and keeping it clean and saving yourself headaches, but from the user experience side, Oh my goodness. I cannot tell you the frustration a user has when they're submitting a form for the 18th time <laughs> because yeah. we did collect their data in a way that connects with them the next time they sign up for it. You know, it's it's like little things like that where like we're messaging users and we're saying like, hey, we're doing a talk on this. And they're like, hey, I changed my job three years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't work in that space. And it's like, right, our data is so dirty that this hasn't been updated. And I saw that they had three job titles and I had no idea which one was current. So, you know, it's like, it's from a user experience too, you know, it's just like you can, you can better leverage your community and connect with them if you know who they are. And that starts by collecting the data and keeping it clean. Absolutely. What tool did you end up using for for that to happen? Like I I know for example I've I've been using Eventbrite for Fuck Up Nights Toronto and it works really well. But for something like that, people do have to fill out the form again. It doesn't just autofill it for them. Like it, it autofills it for like name, email, all of that stuff. But I think for like job titles and like all of those special fields, they do have to fill it out again. Yeah, it's definitely tough. We we stuck with Eventbrite. And what we ended up doing is uh, started looking into ways to creating like that logged in community where it would be like, what would it look like for us to house these events instead of using this this third party tool? And so that way people can log in and like have all that that profile info and then just join the events. The downside and, and, and the tough part that so many people face is resources. You know, Lesbians Who Tech is a small org. And so we ended up sticking with just Eventbrite and ensuring that our data could just be as clean as possible. And so that was that was the route that we took there at LWT. So how did you end up, you know, saying goodbye to this community? I know that you moved on to Snowflake from there, which is super exciting, but it must have been difficult to say goodbye to a community that you loved and you helped build. What was that like? And, you know, are you still part of the community? Yeah, leaving LWT was um, one of the hardest things I've done. Just because, like you said, it was, uh, you know, it's a community I fell in love with before I worked there. And before I joined, and I had the ability to join and 
contribute so much and really get to know all the folks in there. You know, I'm talking, I was like hosting the events and doing the kickoff openers on stage at Summit and writing every newsletter that went out, you know, really just having direct access to folks. It was difficult. People started associating, you know, even people who would run into me on the streets or wherever, you're Angie from LWT. That's how I was known. Um, and, you know, so it was really hard. Um, when I left, you know, I had to just be really clear and honest with folks, let them know I wanted to try something else. Um, you know, I loved building the community and loved everything out of it, but I just, I needed to step away and, and it's time to try something different. And I definitely stayed involved and, you know, I'm still involved with the community. And as soon as I left, I, you know, I was still going to all the events. I think Leanne had reached out to me for a couple different, like, you know, kickoff events that they were hosting. And um, I'm still in touch with all my teammates that have been there. You know, we actually still hang out pretty regularly, which is fun. That's amazing. Well, it sounds like you had such a positive experience and you left on such a good note. And I, I love that you're still part of the community and you're finding different ways to contribute. But you knew that it was time to move on to something else. I think a lot of people kind of stick around and something that's, you know, really good, even though they feel like it's it's time to try something else because they're they're scared of what the future is going to hold or if it's going to be as good as as what they were doing before. But I think you have to like keep taking those risks and you have to keep growing. So let's let's jump into your role at Snowflake. Um, I think it's really exciting what you're doing now. Can you just briefly share what is Snowflake for anybody who might not be familiar? Absolutely, yeah. So Snowflake is um, the data cloud is what we call it. Snowflake, the data cloud. It is a um, data cloud platform that can host all of your data workload needs. And so anything from storing your data, reading it, transforming it, data analytics, metrics, um, data science, data apps, like it's a whole data cloud um, platform where you can do anything and everything, pull insights and really what we say is mobilize your data. So really get your data working for you. Super cool. And what does community mean at Snowflake? Like who is your typical community member? What kind of formats are you running? Yeah. So the Snowflake community primarily is customers and users, Snowflake product, but it's also a broader community that includes data enthusiasts and experts in the general data space. So, you know, our community members tend to be people who are very in love with data, whether they're the practitioner or they're the admin or they're just the decision maker around it. And we run a variety of different programs and, and offerings for these folks, ranging from, you know, the typical event, meetup, user group type event, to we have uh, newsletters that go out, we have technical blogs and tutorials, we have webinars and how-tos. On top of that, we just recently launched some new video content. So we're starting to play around with live events on YouTube in this new virtual world. And we're also starting to play around with actual video series. Ooh, that's so exciting. I love that. I'll have to check that out. I think something really cool that you do is that you're really identifying and supporting your super users. Can you share a little bit about how you do this? And and more importantly, I think like the why, like why should companies do this? I'm a huge fan of advocacy programs because here's the deal. <laughs> companies, it doesn't matter your business to business, your business to consumer, your nonprofit. It doesn't even matter what you are. You always want brand awareness and brand recognition. And you always want to be a player in your industry. 
It's nobody's creating a company and saying, I hope I go unknown. No, most people are creating companies and saying, I hope people know my name. I hope this is a household name is the go-to. When you think X, you think my company, whatever industry you're in. And so that's generally what people are striving for. Good business leaders are striving for. The reason why I'm so excited about advocates is that they are your natural brand ambassadors. Before giving anything, these are people who just naturally love your product, love sharing about it, love telling people about it, like helping people get onto it and learn about it. This is why I love advocates because they're your most enthusiastic users who are going to be able to not only tell you what they love about it, but what they hate about the product. They're going to be able to give incredible feedback about whatever services or offerings you have. And they're going to really be able to help you structure like how you sell this product and how you get it out to other folks. And so I think, you know, when I think about community first, I always think about like, yes, my community team that's working in the company, but I always think about my extended community team and the actual community members are always part of my extended community team because they're going to be the ones out in the wild who are doing more messaging and, and sharing than you could ever imagine. And again, everyone knows, especially if you work in marketing, that a testimonial from a customer is 100 times better than the testimonial from the company. And the what of it here at Snowflake, our users are they're super enthusiastic about data. And I, and I say data broadly, agnostic of the tool. They're just so incredibly enthusiastic about data and learning more about data. Now, our Snowflake ones specifically, obviously, they love Snowflake, but they are not limited to only knowing Snowflake. And one of the beauties of having a product like Snowflake is that, yes, all these other data platforms have come before us, but none have existed the way we have. And we have these advocates who are incredible because they can speak to not only how great Snowflake is, but in comparison to the other tools that have come before. Absolutely. I love what you said about enthusiasm and passion. I think it's so important, especially in an industry um, like where you operate, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like the sexiest. And you mentioned that it's, you know, it could be nerdy and it appeals to a certain type of person. It's very niche. But having those types of super users and advocates and people that are really excited about it and passionate about their roles and love data, it makes such a difference. And it makes it so exciting for, for other people to be part of this community and to really Really engage with it. So how do you measure success and business impact of some of these community events and initiatives that you're running? Two things. One, again, I have a personal drive to being able to showcase what it is about community, what's the value in community and how is it supporting the business? Because working in community for you know over seven years now, I'm I'm still thoroughly baffled by the lack of recognition and respect community professionals get. Right now, things are changing in COVID where everyone's hopping onto community and seeing it as a value. But even in that, you'll see companies rush out to hire someone in community and they don't even fully understand what community can do for their business. They just think they need it. And so um, I'm always a big proponent of making sure that we are really clear about that. And so on my end, before I do anything in the community, I always need to outline what are the goals of our community and make sure that they're tied back to business. And so like on my end, when I think about my community, I'm always trying to like help reduce operational overhead costs, um, whether that be like on events or education or support side. On the, the people side, really educating users and helping elevate their careers in the data space. And so that's what I think of when I think about like goals. And in terms of like, how do I measure that? You know, 
it's really down to just setting clear metrics and KPIs for every program that you launch. Because what you don't want to happen in community is it to feel like a free-for-all of different marketing activities and user activities that have no cadence or structure to them. So Snowflake recently went through an IPO, which was so exciting. What was that experience like for you? And did this impact your role and uh, the direction of community initiatives within what you're doing? <laughs> this IPO is is a level unlike any others. Um, in terms of like my actual role, not much has changed. And in terms of the community, not much has changed, which is good. We were already on a great trajectory. We're already on the, the trajectory and roadmap of just building out what is a value to the users and our in our company. And so just benefiting from the IPO, we're getting more eyes on us, more visibility, which also means we're getting more resources to kind of grow and expand and clean up the pieces that we don't love so much in community. And so we hired a couple more folks. I have a developer advocate now. I have like two, three, I have three developer advocates. I had one before. And so, you know, we're, we're diving deeper into some of our sub communities now. And so looking at like, you know, before we were focused on overall users as a whole and practitioners slash developers. And now we're looking at so many different sub communities in there as well. That's incredible. And what was the day of the IPO like? What, what did it look like <laughs> internally? It was wild. Um, it was like live news broadcast all day long. You know, obviously, I'm on the West Coast. And so it I was actually in Wyoming when the IPO happened. So I should be clear. I live in Oakland, but I was in Wyoming when the IPO happened. I was yeah. on a road trip. Um, I was working from the road. And so I knew we had the whole day off for the IPO. We had gotten the email like the night before um, saying a snow day tomorrow is what they said. They're so cute. And so we had a little snow day and just spent all day like watching these news broadcasts, hearing from internal people what's going on we had live customers and users who were like sharing stories it was really fun I had my little subgroup of like co-workers who I used to like eat lunch with all the time we were in the office and we had like a little virtual hang still and so we were having our own like parties and celebrations during the day and the company did some really fun activities um, outside of broadcasting like you know the the exchange and everything like that later in that evening again I wasn't in town but they put up some buildings in San Francisco like snowflakes and and snow and so it was really really cute that's so cool I haven't been through an experience like this yet I haven't been at a company that IPO'd I hope that I have that experience one day I can't even imagine how exciting that must have been so I want to jump into getting some of your advice for community professionals and for companies your career is super impressive, uh, just the amount of things that you've done and how you progressed. You've been able to progress through various community roles throughout your career, and you recently got promoted at Snowflake. So congratulations on that. Do you have any advice for um, new community professionals who are looking to grow within this industry? Do you think there are any like key things that you've done that helped you be successful? It's about understanding the entire ecosystem that community is. Um, and I think that's a part that is under, 
know, shared really in the industry. Um, when people think about community, a lot of them that think about one fully scaled, already operating communities, and they'll pull you in to manage, say, the forum or the support queue or um, the chats, something like that. But what they don't understand is that community is a whole ecosystem. It's the, it's the container for any activity that engages users and members. And so there are so many pieces that sit inside community that that maybe aren't owned by the community team, but that are in there. And you want to learn what all of those pieces are, because the, the quicker you can learn what sits in community and what falls into that, the quicker you can understand how they work together. And when you understand how, you know, say field marketing works with community events, the quicker you can identify opportunities for collaboration, for streamlining programs, for deduping efforts. You know, and those are the things that are going to get you to that next level. Once you can start getting that bird's eye view of what the community is as a whole, that's when you get to do like a lot of the really fun things, at least I think. I love that. That's such great advice. So I think these days, especially with COVID and you touched on this, businesses are desperate for community and it really shows. Do you have any advice for those that might have slept on community building and are just starting now? Absolutely. I have so much advice for them. Um, <laughs> but for, for those people who have slept on community and are thinking about getting it started now and wanting to make it happen, one figure out what you want. And I know that's difficult because a lot of these people, first of all, they already slept on community. So we already know they don't know the value of community. And two, they probably even know what they want because we already know they slept on it. And so like, but you have to know what you want. And it can be as basic as figuring out, like, I want a place where we have constant engagement with users. Okay, great. That's what you're doing right now. But just pick something because community can be huge. It, it, it can be everything. So pick one thing that you that you want out of it or a couple things and be really clear on that. Two, and this is my probably my biggest one, hire someone who knows more than you know about community. Because again, you slept on it. So you obviously don't know anything about community. And two, you can't just bring in an entry level person when you don't have a community. That's not going to cut it because what you're going to end up with is you need someone who can do more than you can even imagine in the community. And so what you want to do is be sourcing that, you, you know, during those interviews, figuring out what that, that person's going to bring to you and not what they're excited about or what they're like, that sounds cool. No, no, no. I want to say like immediately, you know, like when I'm talking to these companies, I'm pitching out all these different ideas because I want them to know that I know community. And I, and I also want to know, I know they don't know it. <laughs> so um, definitely hire someone smarter than you about community. Um, and then three, be patient. Community takes a minute to grow. You can set up every program under the sun and launch it. And it doesn't mean anyone's going to show up. I'm a big fan of Field of Dreams and if you build, they will come, but it doesn't always work with community. Yeah, people think if I put the forum up, people will show up, but you still have to put in actual work to get those people there. And you have a little bit of a head start, sure, if you have a product and users are already existent, but still you need some sort of strategy around it. So you need to be patient you need to be realistic and you need to strategize to build out what you want. Absolutely. That's such fantastic advice. And you're totally right. Like, I, well, I think it's the same with building out any kind of program. Like maybe you're working on a partnership program or, you know, whatever it may be. It takes time. Like it's not going to happen overnight. And if you are expecting results overnight, you're thinking about it all wrong, especially when it comes to community. 
So I want to jump into your personal community. I think it's really fascinating how community professionals actually navigate uh, within their personal communities outside of the professional community that they're building. So what are some communities that you're part of and why are they meaningful to you? I love communities. Um, (laughs) The COVID time's interesting. Like, what communities am I out of right now? Because I feel like I spend all of my time alone or working. But I am a part of a couple different communities right now. Um, I'm a part of Sister Circle, which is a Black women in tech community here in the Bay Area. I think they, I mean, they span all over. I know one of them was launched here in the Bay Area. And so I'm a part of that um, it's important to me to be in professional community for my specific identities and just like getting the most relevant advice and support around the things that I'm looking for. And so this group is so instrumental in um, helping me rethink things like negotiations and paces, looking at what I value in the industry, figuring out what's like normal versus not normal at a company, things like that. I'm also part of a queer fitness community called Radically Fit. And so I actually, I teach at, it's a gym in Oakland and it's, you know, it's like a fat, positive, accessible queer fitness space. And so it's not focused on diet culture, but just more focused on movement, strength building and endurance. And so I I love it because it's just about the fitness and in an accessible way. Um, And then of course, the the Lesbians Who Tech community. All of those communities sound so great. Love the name of that (laughs) fitness community. So this is a little bit of a strange question, but love hearing people's answers to it and just the diversity of answers to it. How do you choose your people? You know, like the people that are closest to you, your closest group of friends, do you feel like you choose them? Like, do you have like certain qualities that you look for? Or is it just something that kind of happens more organically for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So something this quarantine has brought up for me has been that idea of my my counsel and my circle and I actually I say my counsel because my therapist put that term in my ear of being mindful of the counsel I keep I've been pretty circumstantial uh with my friendships you know if I if if it happens naturally and we're in the same space it's awesome and you know if it develops more like that's even better but right now what I've been really doing is taking stock of that that counsel that I've had around me and being a little bit more intentional about my friend group. You know, I want to make sure that the people that I'm friends with are one supportive of me and my full self. I want to make sure that nobody has set expectations of who I will be, you know, like it's pretty, I want it to be an open friendship that someone's not just friends with me because I'm, I work in this space or because I have these connections, you know, I want it to be, if I decided tomorrow to quit the tech industry and go live in Colorado, are you still going to be my friend or what's up? Um, And so I kind of check in with those questions too. (laughs) Then the last one is just really just making sure it's enjoyable, you know, like friendships, are fun and enjoyable and sure there are tough times in them of course any relationships but I want to make sure that they're enjoyable and they don't feel like work and so I know I've been guilty in the past of you know adopting friendships that were actually work for me um you know whether it was like a mentorship friendship or you know I'm always giving something and not getting anything back and so um, really ending those types of one-sided relationships and just, you know, making sure I can find folks who who support who I am, what I'm doing, and are, are a pleasure to be around. 
I love that. I, I especially like the name that you have, the personal <laughs> counsel. That's so great. That reminds me, um, one of my past speakers for Fuck Up Nights, Pollyanna Reed, she had something similar where she called it her personal board of directors, uh, where it was really just, you know, like a handful of mentors that she had for different aspects of her life and for her business. And I love looking at it that way because it's so important to be able to, you know, lean on those people in your life. But also, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a two-way relationship. So you really have to choose those people that you're going to have that same role for them and you're really going to help them along their journey too. It's absolutely. It's so important to be intentional in your life. And, you know, even when it comes down to friendships, I think about, you know, I'm a very introspective person. And so I think about fear holds back so often in life. Like you don't want to change jobs because it might not be good. Like, you know, we even talked about leaving this community for something different. It might not work out. And it's important that because we have so many barriers already and hurdles that like that, that friend group you have, those people that you're interacting with on the regular are also not hindering you. And it's too easy. You know, for me, I've been in the Bay Area since 2013. And I've made a lot of friends out here. But a lot of the people that live out in the Bay Area are also very focused on their careers, climbing, and getting money and being a version of success that I don't necessarily align with anymore. Absolutely. It's so important to do that and really to, you know, make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that are going to be uplifting and supportive of your goals and vice versa, that you're really, you know, on the same page and can really respect what, what the other is doing. So my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does the word community mean to you? The word community to me means a safe space, an education space, and an engaging space. When I think about community, it, it really to me means like a place, whether virtual or physical, where people can exist on themselves and be supported and get advice and share that wisdom as well. I love that. That's such a great definition. Awesome. Angie, thank you so much again for taking the time to chat with me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here and I can't wait to see how it comes out. I had such a great time chatting with Angie, and I hope that you enjoyed the conversation. You can connect with Angie on LinkedIn by searching for Angie Coleman or through her website, angiecoleman.me. And you can learn more about Snowflake at snowflake.com. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media.